Hi, plant friends. Welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. This is Simon Hill, your host and creator of plantproof.com, your one-stop shop for information on plant-based nutrition. The Plant Proof Podcast is a channel to create thought-provoking conversation with industry leaders, qualified professionals, athletes, and more to help us become more conscious and form healthier and more mindful habits. And now it's time to introduce today's special guest. This week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast features Matt Karma. Matt Karma is a 24-year-old Australian living in Bali who is dedicating, absolutely dedicating his life to animal activism. Through social media, Matt is raising awareness around how animal products end up on the menu and ultimately on the plate. If you haven't seen his social media profile, check out Matt underscore Karma, C-A-M-A, on Instagram. A little warning, some of the videos shown are quite graphic. So if you're the type that gets a little queasy, then please brace yourself. With this in mind, what I personally like about Matt and why I was drawn towards him initially was his ability to communicate his message on social media, not only through confronting content, but also with positive, good vibe style content, which I believe will ultimately allow him to communicate to a wider audience and make greater change. Matt is a relaxed and truly humble young man who epitomizes what it means to choose compassion above all else. And his work is resulting in many people transitioning to a vegan lifestyle, which is no doubt ultimately resulting in a reduction in animal cruelty. Welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast, Matt Karma. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and ready to get into it. Mate, you, you are super inspiring. I've been following you for you know, quite a few months now and no doubt a lot, of, a lot of the listeners have. And you know, I just can't wait to jump into this conversation and learn a lot more about who you are, where you came from and, and sort of what inspired you to, to be now delivering such a positive message to the world. For sure. Yeah, man. Super pumped. So let's, let's wind back the clock. Uh, where, where did you grow up? Um, I grew up in a tiny little place called Gateshead. That's usually where I spent most of my time in Newcastle in Australia. And yeah, that's where I went to school. That's where I went to primary school. And it's where I spent most of my years actually. And did you have any brothers or sisters or, you know, extended family? Yeah, we have a huge family, just all, all dudes, all men. Oh, God. Yeah, five, five bit brothers. Of, bit of bro love. Yeah, a lot. Okay. And, and as, a, as a child, what were your interests and passions and, and hobbies? Man, my, my biggest passion was sports. Used to love rugby league, even though I wasn't that good at it. I sucked as a kid, but I learned how to... You know, I, I wasn't good at school at all. wasn't smart. I hated reading, hated learning. But the one thing that I loved was just running around with friends and playing rugby league. And and as a as a child, sort of, you know, you just alluded to the fact that you you, in your opinion, weren't great at school. Yeah. But what did you have your your eyes set on? What did did Matt Karma sort of inspire to become one day from a a career point of view? As a child? Yeah, as a child. Um, my dream was to make it into the NRL, like play, play professional, but then yeah, it didn't turn out too well. And yeah, so that's, yeah, I, di- I didn't have any dreams and ambitions as a child to do anything. It was mostly just sports. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
And as as you you sort of went into to high school, when when did you start to have more of a focus on, I guess, you know, the the planet, animals and, and things outside of just you? Yeah. So that all happened, man. I'll remember I was working as a personal trainer and it all started when I was sitting down one day, I just finished training a client and it was about 9 PM. I was working really, really hard. And then I sat down to have dinner and I had steak, I had some vegetables and I had some tuna mixed with it as well. And then I was just scrolling through Facebook one day and I, I came across this video and it was called Farm the Fridge. And this random stranger just reposted it one day. So I clicked on it and it was about a seven minute video, but seven minutes afterwards, I saw what actually happened behind the scenes. And this was the first time that I've, I haven't seen anything like, I didn't even hear about it. And what year was this roughly? This was five years ago. Five years so, ago. And yeah. how, how old are you now? Uh, 24. 24. Yeah. Okay. So you're 19. Yep. 19. And you, you mentioned that you were about to jump into a steak. Yeah. You're a personal trainer. So what was your typical diet? But before you watch this, what was your typical diet and what, what did you, you think was really healthy for yourself? But no doubt, what were you telling your clients at that stage as well? Yeah. So uh, four times a day, had the same thing. Chicken, broccoli, sweet potato, four times a four day. Four times a day. So you were four strict. You were, you were on the regime. Yeah, I was, on, I was on it, man. And telling my clients the same thing. I used to carry little booklets and saying dairy is good for you and meat's good for you and just like spreading all this information. But I was only spreading information that was taught to me, you know? So, yeah, so it's like gospel, you know, you hear it and yeah. you, you believe it. Not everyone looks into things and, and you believe it and you share it. And I, I had the same diet. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes two of us. And, you know, there's millions of people out there on that standard gym diet. Yeah. Everyone, especially a lot of fitness trainers indoctrinated into this, this system where teaching trainers that this is healthy, this is unhealthy. And yeah, just, I guess, regurgitating the information to clients and definitely wasn't the healthiest thing now that I know what I know now. Yeah. So yeah. that one video, you you sat through it for the whole seven minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, by the sounds of it, it was fairly graphic. It it gave you insight that you didn't have before into how the animal ended up on your plate. Yes. Okay. Now, from that moment, there, then and there, so five years ago, you're you were nineteen. You you decided on the spot that I can't eat this. Well, wow, so, straight on the spot, man. It was. Um, it was just like, I, and I remember I used to make fun of my client. I had, I had a client that was a vegetarian and she, I remember I used to eat kangaroo as well. And she, I, she I was used to say like, Matt, why are you eating kangaroo? That's a, a, that's a living being. I was like, what are you talking about? And I used to make fun of her for it. So I have total compassion and empathy when people make fun of vegans because I used to be that same person. Yeah. You know? So you can, you know, you, you, you were standing in their, in their shoes. Yes. Yeah, wow. Okay. So. And, and just jumping back, I think the personal training side of things is really interesting. Going through your course, yeah. what, what amount of nutritional training was there and, and how, did they, how did they teach it? Man, it was hardly anything. It was about once every, once, once a fortnight. Yep. We got, uh, once every single week, there was one lesson every single week where we learned a little bit about the nutrition side of things, but hardly, hardly anything, man. Okay. And, and now you, I mean, you made that decision on the spot. Was it, was it a tough decision in terms of, were you sort of a little bit skeptical as to whether you could still stay strong, stay fit, you could give your body everything it needed? Was it, was that tough for you or did you just sort of go with it? 
I, I, I didn't really think of it back then, to be honest. I did lose a lot of weight to start off with, but that was purely because I just stopped weight training. I stopped yeah. weight training. I started focusing on obstacle course racing and running. So that's going to happen regardless of diet. But a lot of people did go, yo, Matt, you'll stop eating meat. This is what's happening. But I had to describe that, you know, it was because of my, I just wasn't training the same way. Yeah. And then, you know, fast forwarding to now. So over, over that, the last five years, how much have you looked into nutrition from a, a fitness point of view? Or are you still eating the same sort of diet that you were when you were 19 and you've just maintained that or have you changed things? Yeah, I've changed things a lot. I'm focusing on a lot more whole, whole foods, probably like 70, 60 to 70% of what I eat is mainly whole foods. There is a raw food place down the, down the road. So two times a day, I go and eat there. And then another time- I'll, Which one's that? Uh, Living Food Lab. Okay. You've been there? No, I haven't been there. Yes. But we should, we should paint a picture for the, um, the listeners of where we are right now. So right now we are at my crib. I had no idea we we're going to come back here, but- uh, <laughs> I just invited myself. just invited himself. <laughs> so yeah, it's a nice little place over here. Uh, outside, you can see the sunset. You can see um, the fields. So nice. we're, we're in, we're in uh, Barawa, Changu? Changu. Changu. So we're in Changu. We're in Bali. Yeah. We are looking out the back of the, the villa through a glass windows onto a nice rice field. So yeah. it's- um. It's heaven here. So, yeah, it is definitely heaven. Okay, so you've got that place down the road. So you've no doubt you've started eating more whole foods. Yeah, look. Yeah, so at the start, was it more of those tr- transitioning style, I guess, meat replacement, more processed style things? Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely struggled a, little, a lot as well. I went vegan, but there were times where I just didn't know what vegan, I didn't do much research. I just yeah. made the decision and then I s- tried to stop eating animal products, but I didn't really look into honey or yeah. even dairy sometimes. Like I, I said I was vegan, but a lot of the time I was vegetarian. At the start. At the start. Because you, I mean, a lot of people can relate to this is there's animal products in so many things that unless- So many things. Even man. processed foods, unless you pick up that, that packet in the shop and you read it and that, you know, milk solids. Yeah. Or, you know, there's egg hidden in there or something. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty common at the start for people. They're like, oh shit. Can't have that either. <laughs> yeah. And even it's a small sort of thing as well. It could be like 1% milk powder. Yeah. And I'm like, why is that in the chips? Why, yeah. why is that there? Yeah. yeah. It's strange where they put milk. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's crazy. Okay. So, you know, I want to, I want to jump in shortly into more the, um, the activist sort of stuff that you're doing. It's a, yep. it's a really positive message that you're sending there, but let's just focus on your transition. Yeah. How did your friends and family around you take it? Were, were any of them friends or family sort of on their own journey to a vegan lifestyle or were you doing this by yourself? No. I, so friends uh, teased me. A lot of friends teased me. And because I was getting skinnier as well, they used to call me Wiz Khalifa. So <laughs> I laugh at it now, but yeah. So I, people were teasing me. Um, family were really, really supportive. They actually kind of didn't care. Like, okay, cool. They just didn't really take notice at all. My stepdad was a little bit hesitant because I have no idea actually. But apart from that, everyone was super supportive. And yeah, I didn't really have that much resistance against friends. And even if they did, I feel like I wouldn't really care, you know? Yeah. So was there, was there, were you sort of trying to educate people from, you know, early on from as soon as you'd watch that video, were you sat like sort of, you know, explaining or educating to these, your friends saying, look, this is why I've decided to eat like this. Do you want to watch it? Yeah. 
No, I didn't say a word out of my mouth for probably two years, man. Yeah. It took about two years for me to start speaking up because I was so scared. Yeah, yeah. I was actually scared of, I said I wasn't, I didn't care, but the truth is I did. So you're scared, you're scared of being judged. Scared of being judged or scared of being criticized or, yeah. So I just, I didn't say anything. I didn't post anything about it. Yeah. So And, and, and sort of deep down during those initial stages, did you know this was a lifetime decision or were you sort of just exploring a different path and- you know, early on, did you think that, oh, this might last for six months or a year or? I knew, I knew straight away. I just, as soon as I saw the video, I said to myself, I can't, I can't do this anymore. There's no way I can put another, what, what was once a living being in my mouth. So yeah, I knew straight from I saw that video, I was done. Yeah. Okay. And you've, you've, uh, you've wound up now in, in Bali. Yep. What, what brought you to Bali in the first place? Yep. And you've obviously been enjoying it. You know, we, we just had a, a little smoothie at Shady Shack and you told me that you've now, I think, overstayed, well, not overstayed, but you've, you've been here for three months longer than planned. Yeah. So what, what brought you here and why do you love it so much? So it's a crazy story, man. I will say it in the most condensed way as possible. But basically, I, there was a time in my life where I was working as a personal trainer for five years, boot camp instructor. And I was happy with it, but I knew that it wasn't my heart's calling. I knew there was something way bigger for me. And I went to a seminar one day on July 24th. And I remember the date because it was a day after my birthday, July 23rd. And I was sitting down learning about intuition. I had no idea what it was, but it was the first time kind of hearing how to listen to what your heart is telling you to do. And long story short, sitting down in there, we went through this process and I learned that my heart was telling me to leave bootcamp and just go full-time online. But at the time I was on YouTube earning hardly any money, like $100 a month or anything, not enough to support me with the gym and food and transport and stuff like that. But once I knew that, I knew that I had to do it. But then when I went back home, my mind kicked back in and said, it's not the right time. You're not going to earn money. How, what are your clients going to think? How are they going to get results? And my mind's talked me out of it. So four months went by and every now and then my, my heart kept going, leave, take the leap, move, go full-time online, just focus on YouTube, focus on online coaching. So uh, just to clarify for the listeners, what were you doing on YouTube? You mentioned you, you, were, you started to monetize it. You're making that $100 a month. What yeah. content were you putting on there back then? So showing people how to lose weight through a psychological and plant-based approach. Okay. Yeah. So making content around that then we, we, we've got a we've got a little burning off fire in the in the rice fields if anyone hears some some crackling in the background yeah. <laughs> or kids Bali. there's kids also playing in the rice fields so. for you it's unexpected yeah. <laughs> things are everywhere um okay so yeah so carry on you 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 set that up on youtube yeah and then four months went by and i knew that i had to leave and it was just it just kept coming up and then there was a time where I was at the gym and it was about 9 p.m. I was working out. I was just really, really stressed because I was doing something that I knew I didn't really want to do. So I went for a walk and I'm not too sure what you believe in. I'm not too sure what everyone else believes in, but I'm a big believer in some type of high power. I don't call it God. I just call it universe. Yeah, sure. Right? And I went for a walk and I was like, I just need a sign speaking to something, right? It's like, I need a sign, something to reassure me that everything's going to be okay if I leave. So here I was sitting down for about 20 minutes at this lake and it was really, really calm water, stars were out and I was just sitting there meditating and then speaking to something. And I said, give me a sign that this is the right decision, but I don't want it to be ambiguous. 
I don't want it to be like, was that really the sign? It needed to be clear cut. It needed to be clear cut. Like this, this is it. So I said, if this is the right thing for me to do, give me a sign for a fish to jump out of the water. As soon as I finished the word water, five times a fish just went boom, 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 like five meters away, man. I had this, shivers down my spine. <laughs> bro, I, had cra- I started crying. I had crazy goosebumps all throughout my body. The next day, I made a video to my bootcamp client saying, this is it, 12 weeks from now, I'm leaving. February, 2017, I left my bootcamp business. And then from there, I just there was just this thing that was telling me to, to go, come to Bali. And the reason is because I know the importance of environment. Environment is everything. That how, I, how fast I accelerate is based on who I'm hanging around, the environment around me. And I was still living with my parents. I was living in my mom's garage. And I just said, all right, I've got to come to Bali. I have to come. And then ever since then, man, everything has been accelerating. Health, finance, career. So, so you took that leap. Did you, did you know anyone in Bali? No or one. You, so you just, that was it. On the plane to Denpasar. On the plane, yeah. Denpasar, had no idea how to speak. And, and you'd seen Bali, I'm assuming through social media, you'd seen photos, bits and pieces. And, yeah. And you liked the idea of it. So yeah. it was a, initially like you were going to go for a couple of months, see how you liked it. Yeah. And here you are five months here later. Yeah, and five months later. I'm loving it. And I don't want to come back. Don't so, want to go back. So the plan the plan is from here just to to keep, you know, keep staying here for as long as it feels right. Yeah. This is my home base. And then every now and then I'll go to Australia. I'm going to Australia next week and then LA and then New York. So, but I always come back here for sure. Yeah. Amazing. So you must've made some, some really good friends here as well. Yeah, man. I met, you've been here. Bro, I met more people in the last five months than I probably have like, and created a, a, a friendship probably than in the last four years of my life. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And you, and you know, I've seen on social media, you've been up to some really cool stuff here. So Let's let's jump into that. Let's yeah. jump into learning more about the acti- activism, the activist side, side of things that you're doing. Yeah. When did the, you sort of decide? I am. I'm going to start. I guess essentially speaking for and on behalf of the animals, and and try and raise people's consciousness around how food is ending up on their plate. Yeah. So I was quiet. So rewind back to that time where I was where I went from quiet to actually start speaking up. I was at uh, a cafe one day with one of my friends and I was speaking to her about like what I'm doing and how I really want to speak out for the animals, but I'm just scared. And then I was like, I don't know if I, don't know if I can. I don't know if, because there's so many people that might judge me. And then she looked at me in the eyes and she said, Matt, while you're being selfish, there are animals out there dying. And for me, that really hit me because I was like, well, first of all, I actually got pissed. I was like, how am I being selfish? But then I started to reflect on it and think that I am being selfish because I'm, it's all about me. What are people going to think of me? What are they going to say about me? What are they going to comment towards me? Rather than what about the pigs, the, the cow, the, the mom who just had the, her baby stripped away from it? What about them? And that's when I started to start to post more on social media. And then being in Bali, it had... Do you want to go into that story in Bali? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move into that. But yeah. just, just, got, just stepping back to when you first started. Yeah. So if, there was, if there's anyone else listening who is contemplating going yeah. down a similar path yeah. in terms of you know, helping to, to raise awareness, what, any tips for them in terms of starting out? Yeah. So I think that with activism, it's not just about being... Not just about posting on your social media. It can be tagging 
on your story, for example, on Instagram to go watch this person's story. You don't have to be the voice. You can be the connector or you can be a walking billboard with your body. You can be a walking billboard with your energy and how you just, just your personality, for example, you can, um, there's so many different ways to be active and not feeling like there's only one way to just post graphic images. You can do that. It's highly effective. However, it's not the only way. So I would say if you're just starting out, I would say to make a mini post, start off small. Yeah. Make a mini post and that could be posting a video of a happy animal. And then in that happy, like if you're scared of graphic images at first, post something happy. And then in that caption, you could say something like the, the, the truth or statistics about what actually happens to these animals. So then it's a balance. It's a balance of look, this happy animal. This is just like a dog. And this is actually what happens to these pigs. This is actually what happens to these cows. So if you're just starting, that's something that you could do today. Okay. And, and in terms of your own learning, you know, whilst you've been here in Bali and over the last five years, tell us about what you've learned in terms of what is happening yeah. um, between the animal growing up, yeah. uh, being born, growing up and, and ending up on the plate. And the, the answer you know, more, more than likely is different depending on the type of animal, but yeah, yeah from your, from your experience, what have you seen? What are the, the, the key things that you think people should be aware of? I think that where I would start with this is people should be aware of, I guess, just educating them on what's happening to all the animals. But for example, a pig, right? We went to a slaughterhouse a few weeks ago and these pigs are only little babies. You know, these pigs can live for, I think, 10 to 15 years from memory and they're slaughtered at around 20 weeks or sometimes even less. And if you put that in the same context of a human, that's only a little baby, you know, the, and, and they're, they're not grown up in happy environments. And even if they were, at the end of the day, if they if they grown up in happy environments, they're still, they still end up at the same slaughterhouse. So... Yeah, it's sad, man. It's sad that these animals are treated as money-making machines. And it's sad that a lot of people don't know about this. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm using my voice to educate people and um, not shame people, but educate people. Have you come across people who, you know, are, are sort of taken back by the material that you post? And how are you handling that in terms of someone just really not coming to grips with what you're trying to do and sort of being on the back foot, so to speak. Yeah. With love. Yeah. With love, love and compassion. You know, my mantra is to love all living beings and to choose compassion. And I know, I guess, because I know what it's like to be that type of person. Cause I did the same thing, you know, making fun of people who are vegan. And I get that probably not once every day, probably at least five or six times a week, someone will say something that, you know, really tries to get at me or, they post something negative. It's going to happen. It comes with the, the territory. Yeah, of, sure. Yeah. So how I respond, we've love, compassion, empathy, understanding that it's a threat to their identity. So of course, someone's going to protect who they believe they are, you know, or their habits that they've had for 20, 30, 15, 40 years. It's, it's, it's not something that they can just let go of in a, in a second. Some people they can, some people it's a bit of resistance at first. Yeah. And, you know, no doubt if you had a single wish and it would be granted, you would say, well, the world would turn 
vegan tomorrow and no more animals will be eaten. Yes. But realistically, how do you see it playing out in the, the decades to come? And what do you think can be done to, to really progress forward quite quickly in this space? Yeah. Honestly, I, I, I don't think the whole entire world is going to go vegan. Just like I don't think every single person on earth is going to stop rape, murder, it's, it's smoking, smoking. Like these things are always going to happen. However, majority of people don't murder. Majority of people don't rape. There's going to come a time where majority of people don't eat animals. And if someone, if someone says, yo, I murdered someone yesterday, he'll be like, what the it's hell? Upon. It's frowned upon. Yeah. There's going to be people where this person eats an animal and people are going to be like, what, 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 how, like, why would they do that? And not just a dog, but a pig, a cow, that's going to happen. I truly yeah. believe that. I, I believe there's going to be like a compound effect where a tipping point where most of society goes vegan. And then I feel like governments and then the, the legal system is going to come in. I, that's how I see it playing out. And what, what sort of timeline are you predicting? Is that, is that something in our lifetime you think will happen? I don't know, man. I don't know. I hope so. I truly hope so. And I visualize that. And I'm not attached to the time frame of how, if it, if it comes during my lifetime, awesome. If it doesn't, awesome. I've did my part to lay down the foundation for that tipping point to start kicking off. Okay. And you, you mentioned the, the pigs. Yeah. What, what other animals have you sort of looked into in terms of how they are treated and end up on our plates? Cows, man. I've spent a lot of time with cows here, dairy cows. And this, so this is something that really hit me because uh, as mentioned, I had still ate honey and dairy when I, when I went vegan, but really vegetarian. I took about a year, oh, six, six months to seven months before I kicked off dairy off my plate. And it was because someone told me what actually happens. They're like, Matt, do you know that in order for milk to end up on your plate, that that cow has to be pregnant, just like any mammal, just like humans have to be, to produce milk, they have to be pregnant. And I had some time to think about that. And I was like, wow. And then she said, if you think about it, these, these cows aren't being pregnant. Uh, they aren't getting pregnant naturally. Humans are doing this to them. And then that made me think even more about like, so these billions and billions of cows are producing milk purely because they are injected with bull semen and not, not it, it, it's from humans. Like that's pretty, can you swear on it? You can swear, you can yeah, do whatever that, you that's want. That's pretty fucked up. As long <laughs> as I tick the uh, explicit language box, yeah. we're fine. So that's pretty messed up, you know what I mean? And then from there, when the, when the, and then she said, when, when the cow is born, if it's a male, the male will be taken away within the first few hours or that day. And then that male will be starved and then slaughtered at a very young age for veal. And then, what sort of age are we talking there? Um, from memory, man, I'm pretty sure it's only a few months old. So that cow barely gets to barely gets to barely gets to it. It's a baby. Yeah. It's only a little baby. And if it's a female, the female will go through the same process as the mom. Impr- grown up, grown up, impregnated. From do you know what? From what age they start um, getting impregnated? No, I don't know from what age. And, and how many times are they falling pregnant a year? Do they have a similar sort of pregnancy cycle as a human or is it once a year they're getting pregnant in these cows or is it multiple times? It's definitely not once a year. I don't know the exact number, but I know that it's a lot for them to handle. And then, then, then there's a point in time where they're not able to produce milk anymore. So then they're slaughtered because they're, they're useless to the dairy industry. So yeah, I don't know. Out of all the animals, I feel like cows, I definitely have the biggest connection to. I'm not too sure. I feel like that's the first slaughterhouse that I went to and I saw what happens. And yeah, man, it's, it's, it's sad and it's scary at the same time. 
Now, I'm not I'm not sure if you've looked into it much, but I've I've been doing a bit of reading and seen quite a bit on social media. Some of these, I guess, almost like chemistry food tech companies, yeah, who are looking at lab grown meat. Yes, and and where do you sit in terms of that? Is that a solution that you think is positive? So the lab grown meat, there no animals are in there. No, so they're using well, they're using stem cells. Yeah, oh, from, okay. from animals. Yeah, but. Once they have the stem cells, you know, I don't. I don't believe the animal dies yeah. from taking stem cells, mm-hmm. and they take the stem cells into laboratory, yeah. and they are growing lab-grown meat. Okay, I've never. I'd, I've heard of that. I don't know much about it. The only thing that I'd say on that, just with a very little knowledge that I know, if the animal isn't being harmed, if it's not, die, if there's no negative side effects, if then I feel like it'd be okay. But then I think about the billions of people on earth and I feel like there'd have to be some type of harm that is done. Maybe, I'm not too sure. I don't know very little about this. Yeah, it's an interesting space and I'm probably going to dig deeper into this on a future podcast. Yeah, so it'd be interesting. I myself actually don't know enough at, at yeah. the moment. So I was just interested to see if you had read up on it, but we can touch base on that later. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so where to from here? What what, what does Matt Karma see himself doing for the next five years, the next decade? For the rest of my life, man, I want to dedicate most of my time to animal activism in whatever form that is. Like I have my own businesses, a business and um, YouTube and stuff, and I'm still going to focus on that. But I really want to use my, my, my time and my voice for helping spread the, the, spreading the message of compassion, helping educate people on what, what's actually happening behind the scenes and just doing my best to be able to help more and more people wake up to what's, what's happening and to help them go vegan. That's the, that's the outcome. Yeah, that, that's, that's the vision, man. What sort of positive messages are you getting from, from people on social media in terms of just support for what you're doing or moving to a, a plant-based diet? Man, it's a lot of just, I, I post a lot, if you're not following me on Instagram, I post a lot of how I'm interacting with people. Just the other day, I had someone two months ago, they said, what did they say? They said something like, fuck off with your vegan shit. And then they said, they said something along the lines, just stop posting. And I just said to him, hope you have a, hope you, hope you well, man. Hope you well, my brother or something like that. Two months later, just the other day, he messaged me. I saw that one. Yeah. Yeah. Just the other day, he He messaged me. He's like, yo, how do I go vegan? (laughs) And I didn't, I didn't contact this person. I wasn't saying anything. I just said, have a good day. Just, just, just making sure that I'm being compassionate towards this dude. Kindness. Yeah. And then just doing my part to just spread little seeds on Instagram of what's happening. And then two months later, this is what happens. So what was the question? Well, I was, I was asking about what positive, positive. messages you were getting. Yes. By the sounds of it, you're using your interaction as an example to then set to other people, potentially other activists or people who are trying to explain this sort of things to other people. Yeah. Which is great because you get a, a snowball effect of people communicating like you yes, um, with love and compassion. And, you know, people don't like being met with confrontation. Yeah. Because then, then, you know, they're not going to listen to your message again. And like you said, that guy came back. Yes. So... And the reason, reason why that works, by the way, and by the way, there is no one way to be this. There's some people who are really, really angry towards people and that works. I believe in like power versus force. And in our brain, there's a part of our brain called the amygdala, which is responsible for like the fight or flight. And when someone's threatening you or your, your identity or someone is coming across as harsh, and that part of us just 
whether they're right, you can't even hear the information or you can't even read the information. You can't absorb it because every part of you just wants to fight back. Mm. So when it's coming with love and compassion, I believe that the information can absorb better and people are more connected rather than just like, yo, I want to prove you wrong. Whether, uh, whether what I'm saying is right or where it's effective or ineffective, I just want to prove that person wrong, yeah. you know? So. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see to it from a different angle, but I, I get similar messages yeah. on social media. And I think the most common thing I see is when people are associating themselves with their thoughts and their ego is sort of yes. ruling what they're saying. Yeah. But like you said, with that guy who came back, he's obviously gone away and been able to take a back seat yeah. and change his perspective, Yes, which is no doubt, you know, probably a result of the positive things that you've been posting on social media and him seeing that. So that's, that's really amazing to see, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you heard the story of one of my favorite, if I had one person to sit down with, if they're dead or alive and I could just have, just absorb their, what's, what, what they did in their life and their mind, it'd be Martin Luther King. And there was a story that there was one time he was walking up to uh, a, to give a speech. And as he was walking, there was this crowd of people. And then and when he was walking towards the stage, a person spat on his face. And then he got a handkerchief out of his pocket. He wiped it down, wiped it all off his face. And then he took a deep breath in. He looked at the dude very calmly, very gently. He said, I believe this belongs to you. And it was just, when I, when I heard this story, I was like, man, this is how I want to interact with people. Like that hate that they throw at you, that hate that they spit at you, that's not yours. That's them. That's, that's theirs. Yeah, you know, well, that's It powerful. belongs to them. You know, that hate that they spit at you, that belongs to them. That anger that they, that they spit at you, that belongs to them. And I feel like that story is a great way to use as a reference to respond to people, you know? When they, when they, when they come across at you angry or with hatred, it's not, it's not, you, it's not yours to, to take in. And the very second that you do, then you've just digested their negative energy and they have a remote control of your happiness now. Yeah. So, and you start second questioning what you're doing. And yeah. Is it all worth it? Yes. Yeah. So they try to not let them get into your head. Exactly, man. So there's, there's probably, you know, people listening who want further information on, what we're talking about in terms of animals and how they're treated. What are your top resources that you would recommend people go to, whether it's a book, documentaries? Obviously, I'm going to have your social media handle below this uh, podcast yeah. um, for people to click through, follow you, talk to you. What other influences? Can you just give a bit of summary there? Yeah, I so I have people who I love to follow. I love to follow um, Earthling Ed on YouTube. I love to listen to him on how to respond to people. He's a really good example of how to respond with love and logic. I love listening to Joey Carbstrong. I love listening to my friend, James, James Aspie. And these are the three people who I consistently look to and, and watch and, and, and write, take notes on. So those are the three big people who I, who I can think of. Okay. And in terms of documentaries, are there any documentaries that you would recommend to people to- Yeah. Three big at? ones. What the health for health and- environment, cowspiracy, and for the ethics side of things, a really good documentary that's coming out very shortly, Dominion. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I have. I've seen the, doc, yeah. the um, trailer. Yeah. Yeah, it looks so great. Those three things are really, really good for those three things, ethics, environment, and health. Okay. I will we'll put links to each of those below as well. So 
in terms of ethics, what's what's actually specifically on the horizon? You got some trips overseas. Yep. You mentioned there's something happening in Bali later in the year. Where can people expect to see you? People can expect to see me, man. I have no idea, to be honest. I have, my schedule is all over the place and I'm not really big on planning. So I'm going to be speaking at the Bali Vegan Festival. That's in October. And animal activism, I'm going to be doing some traveling, going to LA in three weeks. I'm going to be doing Cube of Truths there. And yeah, just keep up, keep me, follow me on Instagram. You'll see me where I am. And I'm going to be doing a lot more Cube of Truths. Okay, and just... Before we we come to the end of this podcast, I think it would be nice to finish with some real practical tips for the listeners. Yes. For for anyone out there who is potentially transitioning to a plant-based diet or potentially trying to educate others about this lifestyle and why it benefits not only the health, but animals and the environment. Let's start with parents. So if parents are trying to educate children, um, young children, Yes. Seven, eight, nine, ten. What's, in your opinion, the best way for them to do this where it's, you know, potentially not too graphical, confrontational? First off, I'm not a parent and I'm there in no way am I telling someone how to be a parent because I know that's a very touchy subject. But what I would say, if I was a parent myself, I would say to myself, if I was this child, how would I want to be shown? And, and for me, I would love to know what actually happens. I'd love to see the, the footage. Because I believe that if I'm going to eat this, I deserve to know the process. I deserve to know the process behind the product. If it's graphic, that's okay. I'm, I'm willing to, to see that. And so if, it's about understanding your child, their personality. Yes. And what they're going to, what's going to resonate with them. Yeah. The parent, the parent listening to this, they know best what's, yeah. what's best. Sure. And if that's not the route to take, then maybe it's just edu- educating them through words, you know, but it can definitely be a bit of a challenge. Those are two things show them straight up the graphic footage or just educate them in a loving way through words rather than showing them the pictures and footage of what happens. But that's the thing. Hold up. Let me just say this. If kids can't see what's actually happening, how can we call that food? If we can't see, if we have to question, can I show my, my child how this chicken, how this piece of bacon is ending up on the plate, then why am I feeding him or her this... Why, why am I feeding this to him or her, you know? So, yeah, well, I guess, I mean, that stems back to a lot of parents not being aware either. Yeah. So the first step is them becoming educated and, and understanding it completely. Yes. And then somehow passing that on to the kids. Mm, exactly. And what about in reverse? Yeah. So, uh, you know, is it a similar situation, teenager, early 20s, if you decide you want, to stop eating animals, yeah. but your parents are not approving of it. What, in your opinion, what's the best way of tackling that situation? Yeah. So this is a very common question that I get a lot. And I always say that if you are a teenager, then the best thing that for you to do is show, sit, sit down with your parents and say, look, mom, dad, I just want to let you know that I, I really want to do this. And this is why, right? Rather than just saying, I'm going vegan. Yeah. Parents want to know, well, why is this? And then also setting up things because the common questions you're going to get from parents are, okay, well, where are you going to get your iron or where are you going to get your protein? Because they care. They love, they love you and they want to make sure that you're That's going right. to be healthy. So it's not them disapproving of what you're doing. They just want to make sure that my child is taken care of. So I think sitting down with them and going, mom, dad, I really want to do this. This is why. 
boom, 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 maybe showing pictures, maybe showing reasons because I really care about animals. And I know you're probably concerned of like, how am I going to get protein or iron? But here's this, this is all the ways that I can do this. Yeah. I think that's a really good point that you made in terms of you can ask those questions because they love you. Yes. Whereas a lot of people, well, you know, teenagers are in their early twenties and I get the same messages. They're, they're almost caught off guard and they think that their parents are just being mean. Yeah. But we, we all need to remember that the being fully conscious of what's happening, this is new for a lot of people, parents included. Yeah. And it starts with education. Yes. So if you're picking up the information before your parents, yes. well, it's your duty to educate them so that you can sit on the same page or come to a compromise or, you know, rather than just assuming that they know what you know. Yes, exactly. Look for the win-win situation rather than compromise. That's it. Like, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's interesting, even in my personal circumstances, my, my brother and I picked up the information and moved to a vegan diet first. Yeah. And now my mother's vegan. She, she wasn't, so she wasn't, but she, you know, she's very open-minded. So she was, you know, she still asked the questions though about the iron and and this and that, like she asked a lot of questions, but we took the time to educate her, showed her, you know, various documentaries, gave her the right books and stuff and she read them and she's now uh, vegan, hundred percent vegan. My stepdad, so her partner, this is a guy who, you know, traditionally grew up in a family eating loads of meat. Yep. Loads of meat, but Aussie barbecue style stuff. But he also really enjoys, thankfully, has always enjoyed fruits and vegetables. And as a result of mum moving to a vegan diet, you know, he's probably 80% of the way there now. I mean, that's a really big thing for him coming from, you know, his family and the rest of his family doesn't get it, but he does. Yeah. Um, and my father, he's, you know, very similar in terms of being receptive and open to it. So I guess everyone has their own experience. But yeah. like you said, if you are willing to educate and sort of empower your parents with the right information, it, it's much better than getting stuck into arguments. Yes, exactly. And let's just finish up with, you know, any final words of advice that you have for anyone who wants to be, to get involved in animal activism. Can they contact you if, they, if they're just gung-ho and they want to jump straight into it? What's your take-home sort of points for them? I'd say uh, step one, um, associate to the purpose, which is clearly clear and obvious. Uh, step two is create a game plan of what's the most effective way for you to be act uh, to to speak up, whether that's on social media, whether that's going to Cuba Truths, whether that is to wear shirts like I'm wearing right now, whether that there's so many different ways. So find out what's going to be the best way for you. Because some people they're not as amazing or they're not as amazing. They're, they're amazing, but they're not as effective on speaking up on the streets to people. Maybe they're shy, right? So maybe social media is the best way. So getting clear for you, what is the most effective way to be active toward, to, to, to speaking up for the animals? And number three, I'd say to study. Like I'm taking notes like crazy, constantly learning, constantly studying about what happens. And I'm still very, very new to this. However, uh, I know that I don't know all the information and that's okay. Uh, if something, if I don't, a lot of the stuff that you were asking here, I didn't know. And to find out what's the most common questions that you get, where do you get your protein? What about iron or the most common arguments against it, right? Like, but, but you eat plants, right? Plants have feelings. So common things like this, just- And how do you answer that one? Well, plants have feelings? Yeah. I would say that plants don't have a central nervous system for 
animal for, for the plants to feel any pain. But even if they did, because then people say, well, what about this YouTube video that I watched? They do feel pain. And I say, well, they have a, they react to stimulus, but they don't feel pain. And if they did, then if you want to cause less harm to plants that have feelings, then the best thing for you to do is to go vegan because animals eat 10 times more plants than we ever do. So you can save more plants by going vegan because you're not eating the animals that eat more plants. So it's a win-win. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Well, mate, I think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. You know, I certainly admire the the work that you're doing and the message that you're putting out there. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what's to come in the next months to years for you. I think there's a lot of exciting things happening at your end. So thank you very much, you know, on behalf of everyone in this world, you're doing an incredible job. Um, so yeah, take my hat off to you and I hope to get you back on the Plant Proof podcast in the near near future to learn more about what you're doing and um, what transpires in the future. Appreciate you, my man. Thank you, brother. Hey, yep, it's Simon here now. And yes, I'm talking to you with the headphones on or earbuds in. I want you to stick with this podcast just for a few more minutes. Upon editing this episode, I realized a couple of the really, really important questions and, and, and Matt's answers that we, we spoke about, and these were pertaining to how he actually gets access to the abattoirs, the slaughterhouses, and what he sees inside, what he's seen with his own eyes, I realized that these parts of the conversation were unfortunately a little bit unclear. There was some background noise. Rather than recording the entire episode again, and I didn't want to do that because I feel that you should hear Matt's story for the first time from his own mouth, just like I had heard it the first time. Rather than doing that, I went back via Skype and I just touched on these couple of questions to give you more insight into exactly how Matt is getting into the slaughterhouses. So stick with me. Just a couple more minutes of this episode. I really hope you're enjoying it so far. Let's, let's paint the picture for the listeners. I alluded to the fact that you post quite a lot of really happy, positive content related to animals and, yes. and, and how refreshing that is uh, compared to some, some pages which are you know, a little more just negative. But as we spoke about, there is a time and a place for actually showing what does happen, sadly, in the, the slaughterhouses and, and you have posted some some images and videos and you're always careful in terms of warning people that the content is graphic. But yes. what really interests me is how how do you get that footage? How do you how do you get in there? Are you invited? Are you breaking your way in or can you can you shed some light on that? Yeah, so in, in Bali, the laws there are very, very different. And so, for example, I have a connection with a friend and he's able to talk to certain people who work at the slaughterhouses and just say, hey, we're just doing some filming. Um, are we able to come in? And it's so easy, like in Bali, like it's so easy to just get footage just to, I can't speak Bahasa, which is the what they speak in Bali. So I don't know how to speak to them, but my friend there, he lives there and he's able to speak to these people and just go, hey, we just, you know, we just want to do some filming. Can you let us in. And they're very, very open to showing like what's actually going on. You know, in Australia and UK and in America, it's much different. Like you're not able to, there is no way in hell you'd be able to bring a camera in there or even step foot in the slaughterhouse. So 
very grateful to be able to have a connection to be able to show what actually goes on. Do, do you think that is because the, the Australians and the Americans and the UK, they know what is going to happen with the footage and that it's sort of, it's, it's going against their industry and can affect sales? Is it that the Balinese just don't really understand what you're doing with the footage? Yeah, it's a good question, man. I'm not too sure about what happens in like why in Bali, why it's so different, but I can 100% say that the reason why in Australia and America and UK and other countries as well, the reason why we're not able to is, yeah, you just said it. If we, social media is so big today, if, if, if people get hold of footage of what's actually going on, sales goes down. So laws are in place or things are in place to make sure that that never happens. And, uh, you know, there's always things that happen to, for example, in Australia, just a few months ago, there were around 60, 65 to 63 activists that broke into the piggery where all the pigs were being held before, you know, going into slaughter and so on. So they weren't able to get permission. So they actually had to break in. There were a lot of, there was a lot of conflict about that. Like a lot of people in the, a lot of vegans were saying that that shouldn't have happened because you know, it's creating a bad name for vegans. But then other people were saying that, you know, this is totally unjust and these laws need to be broken because of what's actually happening. We deserve to know. And regardless of what your opinion is, it had a really good effect because people were able to get footage of what's happening in Australia. Because it's very common for people to see this footage of what's happening in Bali and say, well, that's, that's not happening where I'm from. That's not happening in Australia. That's not happening in America. That's not happening in UK. But when this footage got out, it went all over the news. People were actually sharing this on the news of what's happening. And it was so big because, you know, that, that story that people tell themselves, and I was the one telling myself this when I first saw footage of, hey, this isn't happening in Australia. So yeah, it, it's happening. What may be different is the method. Can you shed some light on the method that you saw firsthand in Bali? What, how are they killing the animals? Yeah, so for pigs, they're stunned before they actually get their throat slit. For the cows, they actually just have their throat slit. There's no, there's nothing to make them stunned at all. So they're so, just, they're just standing there and, and, and a knife taken to the neck. Yes. Yeah. Well, the pigs get actually stunned and then they get a hook and then they get their legs tied up. And how do they stun the pig? Is that like with a, a taser or is that the floor or? Yeah, it's an, it's, it's an, it's an electric stun. So they electric stun them with this little rod and they can stun them on the head or the body. And then they just, you know, become unconscious and then they have their throat slit. Wow. It's crazy. You, you've been in there. You've, you've, you've yes. seen this happen. I've seen the footage. You've been what looks like meters away. What did you pick up on in terms of emotion and, and feeling from that animal? What did you see in their eyes? What did you hear? So the very first time that I walked in to see what was happening to the cows, I remember it perfectly. I walked in and I started to hear the cows mooing. And when I walked in, I could smell the blood. I could see the blood. And then I, I don't know what this is actually called. I don't know the name of it, but there was a cow that was clamped down so it couldn't move. And I was about two meters away. And I could see, like my heart was beating so fast because I could see the cow just struggling, like wanting to get out, wanting to escape, but it wasn't able to. All it could do, it, it could kick its legs but he or she wasn't able to move. She wasn't able to move. And then a dude came with a big, you know, machete and just, it's, it's actually on my Instagram, but that, the, the, the footage that I'm talking about, the very first thing that I saw, you know, that's on my Instagram. And man, the, the, these animals feel, 
I know that's so, you know, I know that's so easy for people to understand, but we get blocked off from what's actually happening when we just see, you know, food, when we just see their flesh, you know, in the supermarket, you know, we forget that this is a, this was a living being who feels, who has emotions just like us, who has fear just like us, who feels love just like us. Yeah, it's, it's almost like if every time you were served your bacon or your steak and you were shown a photograph of the eyes of that animal in its last moment being alive, there would yes. be like it would just be not normal to eat meat. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. humans have compassion and if if you were to look at that photo and look at that animal in the eyes as it was living before you ate it, I think that would would dramatically reduce the amount of animal consumption globally but and and it's it's people like you that are that are drawing that connection through getting in and getting this footage that you're speaking about can yeah, man. In, in terms of that that was in bali so i want to emphasize that what you're talking about there and the slitting of the throat that was in bali and in indonesia and that's how they that's how they slaughter the the cow and and the pig but the pig is stunned first from what matt is saying but what about in in Australia and uh, yeah. potentially in USA and UK? I'm not sure if you've looked into what happens exactly in those markets, but how are the cows slaughtered in Australia? In a, in a lot of countries, it's legally required for them, for animals to be stunned before they have their throat slit. And the reason is because they want them to be unconscious. Then that way, you know, they're avoiding that fear, that pain of having their throat slit, but still they're feeling pain getting stunned. And, you know, that stress that they would go through. So the most common methods in Australia for pigs, they will be gas, they will be put into a gas chamber. And that's, you know, labeled as the most humane way for the animal to be slaughtered. Do you know how long that takes for the, the pig to pass out? I, I'd say to look that up, I'm not exactly sure. But I remember the footage of, if you go to animalsaustralia.org, there is a video there, which was three to five minutes long of the, of the pigs going into the gas chamber and they, you see footage of what's actually happening in Australia. But then other methods, you know, the, the electric stunning will be, so it's either gas chamber or they'll go through electric um, stun or some animals will just get the bolt to their head straight away. And then a lot of people will say, well, that's okay because they're not feeling. And even though the method is different in different countries, the act of murder is exactly the same whether it's a bolt to the head or they're getting stunned or whether they're being gassed, the act of killing is exactly the same. It doesn't really matter, in my opinion. Do you think, and, and I've seen various people comment on this, but even with the getting you know, shot in the head and, and not having a, a slow death, do you think yeah. in the lead up the animals are aware that they're, they're about to be killed? Like what would, you know, you see them cramped in and going up in lines. Do you, do you think the animals, even though they are shot, you know, and, and killed instantly, do you think they know? And I think they do, bro. I, I, I definitely think they do. And even if they don't, it doesn't make it moral for them to take their life, even if they don't know. And I always, pe people have said this to me when I've done street interviews or when I just had conversations. And I always say to them, like, if you just replace that animal with a dog, just say you have a dog. And then it lived a really good life and it, he or she didn't know that his life was going to be taken away and you just shot that dog in the head. It doesn't matter if it had a really good life. It didn't matter if the dog was going to know whether it was going to die or not. You're still taking a laugh. And 
in my opinion, man, it, it's irrelevant whether the animal knows or not. It's the life is still being taken away. You know what I mean? I think you've you've answered those questions really thoroughly. And you you mentioned a website just before. Can you just repeat that for, for the listeners yeah. if they want to watch um, or learn a bit more about this? Yeah, animalsaustralia.org. It will show you what's the methods happening in Australia, footage of what's happening in Australia. And if you ever wonder like, well, this, you know, this may not be happening, then you, you get all the details there. And from your end, you've, you know, you've put up some footage of the slaughterhouses and, and what's happening in Bali. Have you got any further plans in terms of sharing more content around, you know, what is happening um, in, potentially in Australia or other parts of the world? Yeah. So in uh, Sydney, I'm going to be heading to a vigil and just showing footage of what's happening to the animals on the slaughter trucks, on the trucks to the slaughterhouse and just showing them the conditions they're in. And I feel like just, just showing people of just showing people animals before they go into slaughterhouses and you can see the fear in the eyes and then just the conditions that they're in on the trucks there. You can see that these animals, you know, they're, they're, they're suffering right now. So I've got that lined up. How are you going to to time that to know when the trucks are coming in and how are you planning on getting some footage? And, um, you know, you said before the Australian industry or animal industry are not willing to work with people that are exposing what's happening. So what's your, what's your game plan tactics there? Yeah, so I don't actually organize this. There is a group in Sydney and they organize it all. So we can't go into the slaughterhouse, but before the trucks enter the slaughterhouse, They've, they, they organize it where they can talk to the drivers and say, hey, can we have you know, a few minutes where we can just get some footage? And some of the times the drivers will be okay with that. So it's actually before they go into the slaughterhouse. So the, the trucks will be outside and then you know, there'll be a few of us getting some footage of, what's, of, of the animals on the, on the trucks. And that's this week's episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. Connect with myself and the Plant Proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.